Um, Lord Jesus, we thank you um, that your word is living and breathing and there's always new things for us to learn about you. So yeah, we pray that you would bless Rod this morning as he brings us your word. We pray that Holy Spirit, you would talk through him and, and give us ears to really hear what it is that he has to say. Amen. Amen. Good, thanks Chris. Uh, thanks for hosting this morning. Am I on? Am I on? I'm on. Good. Thanks, band. And, and thanks to Alex. You know, some of those songs are awfully difficult to na- navigate, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, you did well. You did well. And I think we need to appreciate the people that do that for yeah. us week after week. And it's, it's really great. Um, Chris says I'm going to speak for a long time. I don't know. I might do. Uh, but it might be that you might think as I go on, let's shoot the preacher. We don't need to hear this. (laughs) So you think, what on earth is going to to come? Well, I've called this in or out, a fresh look look at Luke 2, 1 to 7. (laughs) So you, you might think there's something a little bit different coming. I hope there is. Let's see if this works. Yeah, there we go. Now, we all, we all know the Christmas story, don't we? I mean, let's, let's ignore the fact of, of the announcement to Mary and, and then to Joseph and all the hassle that would have caused at the time. But we, we pick up in the so familiar uh, part where they're on their journey from, uh, to, from Nazareth to Bethlehem uh, with the little donkey who is so pleased to bear the heavy load. <laughs> I've not got that song, sorry, bro. You haven't got that song? Oh, oh dear. Anyway, there, <laughs> there they are on their way to, to Bethlehem. Uh, about a, I think about a hundred miles. Yeah, anyway, anyway, there they are. That's the way it is. And of course, when they arrive in Bethlehem, they search and search and search for a place to stay, don't they? Because Joseph had to go there because it was his ancestor's home. So they're searching for a place to stay. And eventually, just eventually, they find a friendly innkeeper. That's right, yeah. But there's no room in the inn. So he says, but I have got a stable at the back. And so you can go and use that. Well, it's just as well because Mary looks pretty on at that point <laughs> and, and the little donkey is perhaps getting a little tired of bearing its heavy, heavy load. Anyway next picture before you know it Jesus is born and Joseph is there and Mary is there and Mary is so serene you would not think she's journeyed 100 miles she's just given birth but, I mean, this is Mary, isn't it? And Joseph. And the little one there is probably three years old. I don't know. <laughs> and, I mean, he's, he's got a, a really lovely haircut. But, the, but, but I mean, this is, this is the story, isn't it? And then before you know it, here come the shepherds. Bringing, bringing the lamb. Of course, you've got to have the lamb. And then, 
not long afterwards, just a few days, here come the three kings. Well, are they kings? But anyway, the wise men. And then, then everybody stands around in a gorgeous tableau, three wise men, <laughs> shepherds, lamb, oxen, Mary gazing down, Joseph standing behind. We all love the story, don't we? Don't forget the lobster. The witch? The lobster. The lobster. You don't watch the right films, obviously. No. Oh, right. I obviously don't. <laughs> Anybody else know about a lobster? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. good, 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 good. Well, okay. You can educate me afterwards <laughs> about the lobster. All right, it's, it's great, isn't it? It's great. It's a lovely time of year. Everybody gets a glowy feeling with the story. It's all on the Christmas cards and everything else. But we have a problem. A problem of fact. You see, in the Bible, there's no donkey. There isn't. Pardon? <laughs> this is interactive this morning. We don't mind that, do we? <laughs> there's no donkey. In the, store, in the Bible, there's no donkey. There's no innkeeper. In the Bible, there's no, no innkeeper. Don't look so surprised. Read it. There's no innkeeper. There's no stable in the Bible. There isn't. There's no ox or ass or lamb with the oxen standing by. All right, you know. Drafty stable with an open door. <laughs> Going to play that, yes. Yes. Once in royal David's city stood a lonely cattle ship. It's not in the Bible. Isn't in the Bible at all. Oh. And actually, whoops, there's probably no inn either. Oh dear, I am deconstructing the Christmas story and this isn't pleasant, is it? Oh, well, let's have a look and see. So that's the fact. Then there's the problem of tradition. You see, these things are so strong that it may prevent us from actually reading what is there. These things have been told to us again and again and again and we think it's part of the fact. So when we read the scriptures, we actually don't really read what is there and I should say what is not there. You see, tradition has come along to fill in the gaps but it's got very, very powerful. And we accept these things as if they really were there. But they're not. Tradition, in this sense, is extremely powerful. Oops, oh dear. Let's keep going. And then there's the problem of interpretation. Now, we read the passage through Western eyes. And it's actually 21st century Westernized. We live in the west of Europe. And that includes North America, etc. 
But the story took place in a very, very different culture. And we impose what we know and experience upon the story in the Bible. Well, in our culture, animals and people are kept apart, aren't they? You don't want to spend your night with a blinking cow, do you? So there must have been a stable, mustn't there? That's what we think. We look at that and we say, there must have been a stable, because that's the way things are. It may be with us, but it wasn't with them. Oh. Oh, well. And then there's the problem of application. I want to put it to you that the traditional telling of the story makes Jesus very different to us. You know? He's, he's born, he's placed away from people in a stable just with his mum and dad. Well, with his mother and Joseph. And his position and birth is nothing like what we would know and experience. And at worst, it becomes a sort of folk story or fable. There are thousands of infant school teachers who have no problem with putting on a nativity play. Why? It's not really real, is it? Doesn't challenge anybody doesn't have much of an impact personally on anybody. And actually, a study was published a few years ago now, and there are always exceptions to this, but there was a study a few years ago that the least productive event in terms of evangelism for churches was Christmas. Maybe most people attended, but it had the least amount of conversion to Jesus. Why? Because I don't think what we present is often very real. Doesn't relate to where I am. Oh, he says, you're deconstructing the Christmas story. This is bad, isn't it? Well, let's read it. So, this is Luke 2, 1 to 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. No donkey. Just said he went. No donkey. Could have been an oxen cart, actually. Probably more likely Mary travelled in, in a cart. <coughs> Probably. No donkey. Not there. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married with him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger 
because there was no guest room available. No innkeeper. No knocking on lots of doors to find a place. Just the bare fact that Jesus was laid in a manger. Why? Because there was no guest room available. Oh, hold that. We'll come back to that. So there we go. That's the actual story. That's the way the Bible tells it. That's the way God directed it to be written. And a lot of the stuff that we put around it is just not there. Right. Now let's have a couple of problems as well as all the rest. The census. Oh dear. There is no record anywhere of any Roman census requiring people to go back to their ancestral home. No record at all. Oh. Now, Luke could know about it and and other authors not. So what do we do with that? Because the Bible clearly says Joseph had to go back to Bethlehem. Oh. Right. Here's an idea. Hold your hats. This is going to be a little different. Solution. Joseph actually was born and grew up in Bethlehem. Oh? How you... Now, I, your wheel, the wheels of your brain are now churning. But he was in Nazareth, wasn't he? Yes, he was. He was betrothed to Mary. A family arrangement. He was due to marry Mary. And of course she became pregnant and all that. So, were they going to stay in Nazareth? Or were they anyway going to go back to Bethlehem? I don't know. But the census intervened. So, Joseph had to go back to his own town where he grew up and lived. Yeah, so he had to go back to Bethlehem. He'd gone to Nazareth to be with his betrothed, which would, is what would have happened. Then comes the census, and so Joseph goes back and he takes Mary with him. Logically, he goes back to his own town. Oh, well that makes sense. So, if it was his own town, who would have been living in Bethlehem? His family, relatives. Would he have had to search for a place? No. And there are a number of reasons, even if, he, even if people have forgotten about him, he would have just had to have announced himself as I'm Joseph, the son of, oh, I can't remember without looking at the Bible, this one, this one, this one, at the house of David. Look it up. The genealogy's there. 
Palestinian Middle Eastern hospitality would never have let people be on the streets. And that's still the same today. A traveller has written this. Palestinian hospitality is so overwhelming, you're never alone. So the answer, this traveller said, I used to take myself out for a walk just to give myself space because they were so hospitable. Joseph and Mary would never, in those circumstances, have had to have looked for a room. But there was no room. Ah. But the word that's often translated in, and it is in the first edition of the NIV, but it isn't in the second, is a, it means guest room in other places in the Bible. It doesn't mean in, it means guest room. Oh, what does that mean? Right, here's a typical house of the time, and even so today. Right, on the left, there's a, a place which is, put inverted commas, stable. And then, if you go in the door at the bottom, and then you turn right, you go up a few steps, and you come to the family, family living room. Oh, but look what is at the side of the room. There were two, at least two depressions where hay and animal feed was put. So, at night, the animals were led into the stable. I mean, I'm not sure what it was called, but it was just there. And they could feed out of those while the family was in the family room. Actually, that's how it was. Jesus said, you, when you put a light on a stand, it lights up the whole house. That's only possible if there's one room. Uh-huh. But you see, also, there was the guest room. That's kataluma, which is, is the Greek word there, right? That was either at the back with a separate entrance or on the roof. So, Joseph turns up with Mary, who's pregnant, and the family says, oh, come on in. Because they're now guests. So, where were they going to go? Into the guest room. But there's a problem. There's not enough room. Why? It could be because other members of the family have also arrived, or, and this is interesting, someone has suggested, it was a pokey little place, so there wouldn't have been enough room for Mary to give birth properly. So where, did, where do you think Jesus was born? As there was no room in the guest room, the logical place for Jesus to be born is in the family room. Oh, and what's there? There are two mangers. So where are you going to lay Jesus when he's born? in the manger. Because the animals come in, it's, it's a little bit lower, and they can feed. So Jesus was laid 
in one of the mangers at the side of the room. That's an entirely different scenario from the traditional one. But I'm going to put it to you, it makes much more sense from the scriptures. And I tell you what, we're finding this hard to cope with because it is undoing everything we've been taught and all the carols say from, you know, it's just just that. Does it matter? That's the issue. Does it matter? Well, I've already talked about what I believe is a certain unreality of the traditional story, but what about the application? Does it matter? Well, I believe what it's saying is this. Jesus was not born into a unique situation in an isolated stable, laid in a manger, which we cannot relate to. Jesus was born right into the hurly-burly, rough and tumble, ups and downs of family life. In other words, he was born into a family, just like us, with all the issues that were going on. They were having to cope with this census from their Roman masters. It was hard enough. Into all of this, Jesus was born. He came right into their situation. And that is what Jesus does today. He's not just a mythical creature out, or character out there that we cannot relate to. But when Jesus said, I will come and make my home with you, he comes right into the rough and tumble and, if you like, uh, sort of almost anarchic state that we're in. Right where I am. Don't care whether we're middle class, working class, rich, poor, whatever. He comes right into our situation. Because that's who he is. He is God with us. Not separate to us, but he's God with us. And he comes into the messiness as well as the good parts of our own lives. Wow. You see, that that relates into a family. We were were praying out there and... uh, uh, talking about how, praying how Jesus, the Son of God, how the Son of God became a man for us. Words, I, th- I think it the words of Wesley, because Wesley was mentioned. Uh, our God contracted to a span incomprehensibly made man. That's the miracle. That our God in Christ has come to us where we are. Right. Let me, let me give you three points because of that. They're not the usual Christmassy points. First of all, Jesus disrupts. Mary and Joseph had it all planned. They got betrothed And in those days, betrothal, engagement, was as secure as marriage. You didn't didn't renege on a betrothal. 
They had it all planned. Got betrothed. Joseph come from Bethlehem to Nazareth. Betrothal all, all sorted out. In a year's time, they'd be married, then they'd have children. Whether they'd live in Nazareth, I don't know. I think Joseph intended to live in Bethlehem. Why do I say that? When the wise men came, maybe up to 18 months after Jesus was born, where were they? Bethlehem. Then they had to escape into Egypt. When they wanted to come back, where did Joseph want to go? Bethlehem. Read it in Matthew. It was only because Herod's son was on the throne that they decided they should not go to Bethlehem, but back to Mary's home, Nazareth. So they had it all sussed. Betrothal, marriage, a nice happy life in Bethlehem. Jesus came in and totally disrupted it. He did. My goodness. This isn't isn't what we planned, God. I I know he's special. I know he's your son. I think he's the Messiah, but it's not what we planned. Oh, my goodness. And that's what Jesus does when we really accept him as Lord, when we consider the claims that he makes upon us, that he lived for us, that he died for us, that he's alive for us, when we accept Jesus in that way, your life is disrupted. It doesn't go on in the way that you intended. Not really. It's getting better. Mind you, sometimes it gets more difficult. It's full of joy and peace and and all the rest of it and and difficulties as well. But he he certainly disrupted it. And I know I've said this before and and it's what happened. I was was set on being a maths teacher. That is what I wanted to do. Jesus had other ideas. Well, what I planned, but his plans for me were different and better. And whatever age we are, if we say, Jesus, you are Lord, I'm not just interested in you. I'm not just think you're a good teacher or something like that, but you're my Lord. I tell you, your life will be disrupted in some way or other. Because that's what he does. Oh, dear me. It's not very Christmassy, is it? Well, it is. Yes, it is. And he divides. Hmm. Think about it. He was born. Along came the shepherds. Fantastic. God had told them that, that to them a saviour had been born. It was Christ the Lord. And they would find the saviour wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. They knew where to go, in a house, because that's it. Fine, they found him. Eventually came the wise men, whether they were two, four, six or eight, we don't know, there could have been a whole posse, we, I have no idea. But they came, and they worshipped him, and they presented the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. 
That's one side of the story. But because the wise men went to Jerusalem first and asked Herod what was going on, he realised he'd got a rival and a division opened up. So Jesus' birth, his infancy, divided people. There were those that were for him and those that were against him. So much so that they had to escape into Egypt. And that actually was the story of Jesus' life. He actually said, this is a saying we often ignore, I've come to bring division. He did say that. Because he does divide. There's no sitting on the fence with Jesus. Ultimately, you see, on the one hand, there were the, there were the band of disciples, there the, those that followed him, the, the, the men and the women that were around him, that supported him, that loved him, that he led, that he, he taught. There was those ones, and on the other, the scribes, the Pharisees, who saw him as a threat. And the ultimate division was when he died. There were those that stood at the cross, but those who had shouted crucify. Because that's what happens. You don't sit on the fence with Jesus. Not ultimately. Thank God he gives you time to think. You know, I'm so glad he did. Gave me time to think. But ultimately, you don't sit on the fence. If you're not for him, you're against him. And that's it. There's sheep and there's goats. There's wheat or weeds. It's in the parables of Jesus. The whole division thing. Ah. So, is Jesus Lord? That's the question. The incarnation, Christmas, challenges us. Is this child, the Son of God, becoming human flesh? Is this child who grew to be Jesus of Nazareth, is he Lord or not? That's the challenge. That's not a cosy Christmas message. That's a challenge right to the very heart of things. And one day, one day, I'm going to stand in front of him And is he going to say, well done, good and faithful servant? Or is he going to say, I never knew you? Disrupts, Jesus divides. I had to think for a third day. I mean, you can't have a three-point alliterating talk like this. And I thought, oh, what am I going to do? Anyway, this is what I like to do. He determines. 
the moment Jesus was born to Mary, Mary and Joseph's life took a totally different turn and the presence of Jesus determined what would happen. And it, obviously it went, meant going to Egypt, it meant eventually then ending up in Nazareth because Jesus was going to be called a Nazarene. It meant that Mary had to watch over him as he, he uh, did his ministry and his brothers had doubts about him and then Mary was there at the cross and how Jesus said to John, his disciple, look after her please. It totally determined both Mary and, of course, Joseph's life after that. And if we accept the Jesus of Christmas as Lord and Saviour, the one who has taken upon himself all the, all the, the mess and the failure uh, and the, what the Bible calls sin upon himself, and he's done away with it on the cross, and he's risen from the dead, and if we say, Jesus, your Lord, our life will be determined by him from now onwards. And the wonderful thing is this, that if our life is determined, set out by him, we know that one day we're going to be with him forever. And that the Jesus who came as the baby in Bethlehem is the Jesus who will return in glory and power. That's what our, our more our more liturgical friends think about Advent. We remember the first coming of Jesus, but we look for the second coming. He's coming again. And then we'll know him as he is. Hallelujah. Wow. So, where are you? Where are we? Yeah, he probably disrupted your life. <laughs> he did, he does. And he divides. Yeah, it's hard sometimes when we're divided from our own family on this. But he's determined that he will keep you. I know, says Paul, whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him against that day. In other words, when Jesus comes again, I know he'll keep it. He will. Keep it for me and he'll keep it for you. Make sure he's Lord. There we go. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the absolutely amazing, mind-boggling miracle of Jesus being born. Forgive us, Lord, that so often we've relegated it to the point of a, almost like a fable. But thank you, Jesus, that you entered into our lives just as they are. You know about our hopes, our fears. You know the good things about us. You also know the things that are not so good. But thank you that you accept us. And if we turn to you and we say we're sorry, you accept us, you hold us, and you keep us. 
I pray that everyone here today will know for certain that Jesus Christ is Lord. No ifs, no buts, but certainty. Lord, please bless this people over these few days as we celebrate the birth of Jesus. We thank you for the joy that it brings. We thank you for all the good things that we can share with friends and family. And Lord, we want to end where we began this morning, just worshipping you for who you are. So thank you and praise you. Amen.